You can grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 5 to 11 this morning as we continue our December Christmas focus, looking at the incarnation of Christ. Last week, we talked about the mystery of the incarnation. Today, we're going to talk about the cost of the incarnation, and we've got one more next Sunday, and then we'll try to bring all that home um, for our short uh, Christmas Eve service. What what date is the Christmas Eve service this year? Is it the 24th? I can never remember that. You guys make plans to come to that, uh, 5 to 5.45. It's a, it's a really special time together, and we're looking forward to that. Years ago, there was a show on television that didn't last long. I think they were trying to do a takeoff of the other show, Undercover Boss. But this one was, they they went uh, several steps further. They took multi, multi multi-millionaires and billionaires. I'm talking about people who had their own helicopter and jet, you know, uh, at their house and And uh, these people would volunteer to be stripped of all their identity, all their, their wallet was emptied, all their credit cards were taken, their driver's license was taken, and they were flown or driven to another city and dropped off in the worst part of the city. And they were left there, and I think they had two weeks or something to fend for themselves. I think they were given $100, maybe, something like that, and they had to, that had to cover rent, uh, had to cover food, and it was kind of a social experiment on what it was like to live with nothing coming from such luxury. Um, the show didn't last very long, <laughs> and my guess is it's because they ran out of millionaires and billionaires who wanted to go on this adventure. It was really brutal to see uh, these people try and survive in, uh, in a place that they were not accustomed to living. And it always struck me when I saw the, the few episodes of that show that what the, the people who made that show were doing without realizing it is they were giving us a tiny, tiny glimpse of what we're focusing on this Christmas, the Incarnation of how Christ left the glories of heaven, stripped himself of everything, and came to this earth to take on human flesh, to live among us. It's a remarkable and wondrous mystery. As I said last week, we talked about that mystery a little bit. And this morning, I want us to consider the cost of the incarnation. I don't know of a better place in Scripture where we see this, then Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at verses 5 to 11. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9, therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. You ever caught that? And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think it's no small thing that this section begins with the phrase, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's important because it's a jolting reminder that what the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write here is not just for our education. It's not just for us to, to read these words and go, ah, oh, isn't that nice? Look at all that Jesus went through for us. Mm, there's way more to it than that. From the very outset of this section of verses, you and I are called to follow the same pattern, to have the same mindset that Jesus had when he lowered himself and came to this earth. The Bible makes it um, unavoidably clear, as Jesus himself did, that as followers of Christ, we are called to be, you know, followers of Christ. This is why I'm trying to get out of this habit, but it's hard to break. And the there's nothing wrong with this. It's just, this is just for me personally. I'm trying to stop calling myself a Christian because it kind of means nothing now. You talk to anybody. Yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, I've, I've heard so many people say, oh, I've been a Christian my whole life. I was born a Christian. Ugh, okay. And so I am intentionally trying to change that and call myself a follower of Christ because that means I got to be doing something. I can't just wear the badge. I have to be doing something with my life. And the Bible and Jesus himself calls us to this again and again to follow the example that Christ left for us. Remember old Peter? Remember how he blew it so many times? About 30 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, Peter had matured so much. You read his letters, First and Second Peter, and I'm telling you, the, the depth of those letters... Um, well, we, we taught through First Peter years ago um, about being strangers in a strange land, and it's just epic stuff. And you read this and go, man, I, I have to believe in God now because there's no way Peter could have written this himself. He's been transformed. Well, he, about 30 years later, wrote this in First Peter 2.21. He said, for to this you were called. And what he's talking about is the verses that came right before that about suffering for Christ. I remember going through that series, we were like six or eight weeks in, and I had some people come to me now and then go, can, can we stop talking about suffering for a while? He said, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Nobody wants to talk about that. No Christians want to talk about that. They want to talk, talk about having your best life now. This ain't your best life now. And if this is, 
then you are one hopeless person. Jesus himself said in John 13, 15, right after, this was the night before the cross. I mean, he had every right to spend that evening complaining and having a pity party. You know what he did? John 13 says he got up from the table, he got a basin, a bowl of water, wrapped a towel around his waist, he got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. And then, in John 13, 15, he said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Hey, students, you asking the question, what's God's will for my life? I can give it to you right here. Get to know Christ and live for him. That's his will for your life. Don't worry about the details. You do that, you get to know Christ, and you live for him, I promise you, all the rest of it will unfold one day at a time. It won't be a sweat. I look back at my life, I have... It's just amazing that I'm standing here today. I, have, I still really have no idea how all this happened, how I came from where I was to be doing this today. But what began the transformation in my life for truly living for him was when I began reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over and over again and studying the life of Christ. It changed me. And I wanted nothing more than to become like him. And once I started doing that, the dominoes fell in a good way. Things just started happening. He goes on in Philippians chapter 2. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, I considered diving into this further today, but I, I'm not going to today. I just can't, uh, I can't keep you here till two. But there are some words in this section that really bother people. Um, you've got the word form. You've got the word likeness used twice, and you've got the word appearance used once. Now, listen, those words have thrown people over the years into a real tailspin, and they get all worked up about well, was Jesus really God? Was he really equal with God, or was it just some kind of form? And when he was a man, was he really a man, or was, it just, was he just in appearance? We'll talk about that in a second. Right, listen, just drop all that stuff. Just drop it. Just read the Bible. Say, God, just speak to me. Show me your truth. I don't, I don't care what Professor Bottle Stopper has to say about this. Just show me, Lord, what you want to say from your word. Listen, it's great to explore things. But don't get off in the weeds. Don't get hung up on one word and you say, well, I can't believe the Bible because that, ver that uh, verb's in the wrong tense and we got... No, come on. So if, if any of you are there, I'll be glad to talk to you about it, but I just encourage you to, uh, to get the meat off of this more than anything else. This phrase, didn't, Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, Yours may say he, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It, it's saying that Christ was already equal with God. Now, for me to try to explain all of this at the level that God understands it, it's not going to happen. 
might as well go on to lunch. It's not going to happen. I can't explain it all. This is where faith comes in. See, when my kids were growing up, they never once, never once came to me trembling in fear saying, Daddy, are we going to be able to manage to pay the mortgage this month? Now, I had some months like that, but my kids never worried about it. Why? Because they know their daddy's going to take care of them. And so the same thing here is true. I can't explain a number of things in the Bible. Now, most of it we can. We can understand it very clearly. We can explain it. But there are some things like the incarnation. We, we just have to go by faith. And what's wrong with that, by the way? You exercised faith when you sat down in that chair this morning. You never, you never demanded to see uh, the, uh, the blueprint for it or talk to the engineer who designed it. You just sat down. So I bring this message to you this morning uh, saying up front, a lot of this is over my head, man. It's way over my head, and I love the fact that it is. Because if I could figure out God completely, he wouldn't possibly be God. If God could be um, shrunk down to the size of my brain, then he's not God. I need a God who's bigger than me. I need a God who I have to say, well, I just got to trust you on this one. This doesn't make any sense, but I'm with you all the way. So it's, it's telling us here, it's, it's building up to his coming into the world, and it's trying to show us who he was and where he came from before he made that enormous downward step to come to us. And it's saying that Christ was already equal with God, so there wasn't any reason for him to try to grasp that position or attain that position. Some people, I mentioned this briefly last week and didn't have time to get into it, but some people say Jesus never claimed to be God or, or be equal with God. Here are just a few quick examples of many. <clears throat> John ten thirty one to 33. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him, and I... <laughs> I love that one word again. It just kind of breezes past that. Now, if people had taken up stones again to stone you, that'd be a pretty major point in your life. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have done many good works from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, we do not stone you for a good work, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, in the Jewish culture, that was the highest offense of all. You'd be put to death for even associating yourself with the level of God. But the silence after that verse speaks volumes, because Jesus never said, Whoa, fellas, wait a minute. I never said that. What are you, crazy? Don't talk like that. He said nothing. And so he was, by saying nothing, saying, you're absolutely right. John 5, 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. There we are again. Because he not only broke the Sabbath, I love that, breaking some of the religious rules, he not only broke the Sabbath, but also he said God was his father, making himself equal with God. 
John 10.30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. We saw last week, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In John 17.5, when Jesus was praying, he said, And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world existed. No, on and on we could go. Christ was equally God. He was equally glorious. He was equally worshipped from time past. Now, why does this need to be emphasized? Because I don't ever want us to forget that that baby in the manger who so, so many people focus on at this time of year, and rightly so, I don't ever want us to forget that that baby in the manger was not just a good teacher. He was not just some kind-hearted, aw shucks fella who decided to be nice and lay down his life for people. He was not even a lesser God who was maybe dispensable from heaven's viewpoint. He equally shared God's power and glory from before the world began. That's, that's who humbled himself. That's who humbled himself and came to earth to be pushed around and slandered and mocked and ridiculed and beaten and killed for you. That's who came. Never before and never since has anyone ever taken a deeper step down than Christ took for you. So let's not forget the heights from where he came before he began his downward journey to save us. It's more than we can fully take in, all of this that we're talking about today. We, we, we hold on to what we can, and we say, Lord, next go around, teach me a bit more about this. But it's really more than any of us can take in. It's no wonder Charles Wesley wrote these beautiful words in 1738, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? It goes on in verse 7, and it says, He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He made himself of no reputation. It's sad to me to see how many people spend their entire lives trying to build up their reputation trying to constantly strive to impress other people, even putting others down to make a name for themselves. I never really saw this until I got into the business world years ago and began to move up to more and more prominent clients. And, you know, the further I got, the more sickening I became at seeing these people who would literally stab their mother in the back to get that next promotion to get that big corner office in the sky. I mean, people do anything to build up their reputation. And what used to drive me nuts were, and there were a lot of really good folks there too, but the ones who would always walk around and make sure you knew who they were. It's so sad to me to see the effort that people go to, and I think there's nothing uglier than seeing a man or woman 
filled with arrogance and elevating themselves above other people, even maybe believing that they really are inherently better than everybody else. The columnist and comedian Dave Barry once said, and I love this guy because uh, he rented the uh, Oscar Mayer Wienermobile one time and went to school to pick up his kids. Now that, <laughs> that's a dad right there. I didn't know you could rent it or I would have I looked into it. Dave Barry said, a person who is nice to you but rude to the waiter is not a nice person. 100% true. Jesus didn't show up on earth in a royal parade with trumpets blasting and people cheering and confetti falling. If anybody should have come that way, it was Jesus. He deserved that kind of welcome, that kind of entrance into the world. His reputation deserved nothing less, but instead he made himself of no reputation. He laid aside his title. He was born as a helpless infant to a poor family in a town nobody liked. The cost of the incarnation. Can you imagine if we read in the paper tomorrow that all the world's wealthiest, most prominent leaders had all eagerly given up all of their wealth, all of their possessions, had given up their reputation in exchange for a lifetime of poverty and rejection and slander. And you'd say, well, that's absurd. Nobody would ever do that. Yeah, actually, somebody did. Jesus willingly gave up his reputation. And he became a slave in order to rescue us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 summarizes this beautifully. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What an incredible thought. Well, verse 7 has just told us that he came in the likeness of men. And now verse 8 says that he was found in appearance as a man. As I said, some isms and schisms of Christianity have twisted this into terrible heresies. But we need to know what this actually means. This is not saying that when Jesus was on earth, he floated 18 inches above the ground everywhere he went, and he looked like an angel. Some people said that because they claimed that he wasn't really a man. What this means is simply this. Whenever anyone looked at Jesus, he looked like any other man. That part is that simple. There's nothing deep here. He was found in the appearance of a man. He appeared to people to be a man because he was. There's nothing about his physical appearance that made him stand out. Despite all the old, many of them famous paintings, most of them uh, sort of um, 
came out of the, the, the Roman Catholic Church. Not all of them did, but those old paintings that always show Jesus with a halo around his head and always standing in some pose like this. Like, have you ever read the Bible? Can I just tell you, Jesus did not have a halo around his head. He appeared to everybody who saw him to be just another regular Joe. Sorry, Joe. (laughs) But he did. And here's the key. In his appearance, he was just like every other man, but he was not just a man. His physical appearance made him a man. But by his words and his actions, it was obvious to everybody that he was anything but just another man. Now, this is important for us. See, people, people said things about Jesus after they'd heard him teach. They walked away, and the Bible records some of this. People would say, no man ever spoke the way that man does. People would say, he doesn't speak like our teachers of the law. He speaks like one with authority. The, the sick, the blind, the, the deaf, the lame, they all felt his gentle touch of healing. The overlooked and the marginalized were all given his full attention and welcomed in by him. The thieves and murderers and prostitutes heard his forgiving words of love. The lost, the discouraged, the hopeless found new purpose because of him. He was not just an ordinary man. And you and I are called to do the same thing. We're we're never called in scripture to be above other people in the physical realm, but we are called to be different in our words and our actions. There should be moments in our life when the world is startled, when they see and hear the love and beauty of Christ coming out of plain, ordinary people like you and me. There should be moments when they walk away going, I don't know what I just encountered, but that's not human. That's something beyond human. You see, you and I are called to follow his pattern, to walk in his steps. It never calls us to be better than other people in the physical realm, but it calls us to be different in our words and our actions, just as Jesus was. Well, verse 8 goes on to say this incredible statement. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It makes me thankful and it it makes me sad at the same time to think that Jesus lived his entire life with the cross in mind. I'm guessing there were rarely days when he woke up in the morning and that thought didn't flash through his mind. Well, I've got you know, 871 days left. That's where I'm headed. But actually, that's why he came. He didn't come to 
teach people how to be good. He didn't come to tell us to be nice to each other. He came to die on the cross. Mark 10.45 sums this up perfectly. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Now that in itself would be enough of a statement. But it says, comma, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why he came. But Philippians doesn't just say he humbled himself to the point of death. Again, that alone would have been more than any of us deserved. But the verse goes much further than that in that last phrase. It says he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross. In any other case, it would have been enough that someone simply obeyed to the point of death. But so horrifying was a death on the cross that it stands alone in its own category of torture and cruelty. People in that day, Jesus wasn't the only person crucified. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Christians and others who were crucified. And it was like this stigma. It was like not only had your loved one died, but they had the added insult and humiliation of being hung on a cross naked, dying slowly in an agonizing death for the whole world to see. I imagine someone maybe has been gone from Jerusalem for a while and they came back and they're catching up with friends and say, well, uh, how's how's uh, Bill doing? Oh, he's not with us. What? What happened? He died. Oh, I'm so sorry. What happened? They crucified him. <gasps> That's the way it was. Crucifixion was a horror. And the Holy Spirit inspired that that one additional phrase be added. He was obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It's as though Paul is spitting that phrase out in disgust and sorrow that the meek and lowly Savior, the the kindest, most humble, most loving man who ever lived had to die in such a humiliating and agonizing way. It's beyond belief. It's the worst thing imaginable. And in going to the cross, willingly going to the cross, Jesus displayed his greatest and most complete act of love for us. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Christ's death on the cross was infinitely liberating for us. But his death on the cross was infinitely degrading to him. We have no real way of measuring this. We simply cannot understand how awful this was. So let me turn to some scriptures and share with you what it says. Matthew twenty-six, sixty-seven. Then they spat in his face 
and beat him. What? Jesus? The one who never harmed anybody? The one who broke through all the social barriers and loved people who were unloved by anyone else? Wait, Jesus? The man who reached out his hand to touch a leper? He could have said, you're healed, but he wanted that man to feel the warmth of a human touch for the first time in years. That Jesus? Yeah. They spat in his face and beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who's the one who struck you? This was when he was blindfolded before being led to the cross. John 19, 3, then they said, as he was on the cross, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him again. Isaiah 52, 14, his appearance was so disfigured, more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. It's incredible, isn't it? The the very one who extended forgiveness to all, died, rejected, humiliated, and despised. And can I just give you a wonderful little Christmas card message? If you live for Christ, you can't expect a whole lot more. Y'all wish I'd stayed home today. This is the truth, though. When, when uh, Christ called Saul, and saved him, and renamed him Paul, and sent him out to be the greatest missionary who's ever lived, you know what Christ said about him? He said, oh, he's going to have an awesome life. As long as he obeys me, he's going to have the best of everything. No. You read it for yourself in Acts. It said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Anybody else want to sign up? This is why I never push people to make a decision for Christ. I want them to. I encourage them to. But it's got to be their choice. And I let them know what they're signing up for. Jesus said, you want to be his follower? It means giving up everything. It means letting go of everything to follow him. We're talking about the cost of the incarnation. I don't ever want us to look at the beautiful Christmas cards of the manger and the sparkly stars and the glitter that gets all over my pants when I open the cards and all that kind of stuff and miss what we're talking about today. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer or whatever. I'm, I'm just telling you there's so much more beneath all the Christmas trappings that we see that we need to never forget. The cost of the incarnation. It's impossible to understand how degrading and agonizing the cross was to Jesus. And as if the cross alone wasn't horrendous enough, 
add to it the fact of what we've just been told, that he had to leave the holiness and perfection of heaven to come down and wade through this swamp of sin and defilement for 33 years, and he endured it all so that you and I could be saved. But now in verse 9, thankfully, the tone suddenly changes. It says this, Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You've heard this a million times, but it's worth repeating again that we must notice the word therefore, and we must ask what it's there for. It's a connecting word. When you see the word therefore, there's always something important you need to go back and read. That word points back to verses 6 through 8. The exaltation and glory that Christ was given in verses 9 through 11 was the result of everything he did in verses 6 through 8. It all hinges on that word, therefore. Because he endured all of this, now he's going to be exalted and glorified. It was his obedience that brought us redemption, and it was his obedience that brought him glory. His downward journey, man, it was a long, hard road filled with sorrow and grief. But each step of that downward journey brought him closer and closer to his upward journey. Every day, as I said, every day he spent on this earth, the shadow of the cross loomed over him. But even as it did, he he pressed on toward the cross because of two things. Number one, because it was his father's will. And number two, because of the joy that was set before him. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It all hinges on that word, therefore. Christ was lifted up only because he was first made low. He was exalted only because he was first willing to humble himself. And the same is true of your life and mine. Jesus said, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself, be humbled. And I can tell you from experience, it's a whole lot better to go ahead and humble yourself than to have to be humbled. Just tuck that away. No one has ever humbled himself more than Jesus did. And therefore, no one has ever been exalted more than Jesus was. Ephesians puts it this way, Ephesians 1.20, God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given. Hey, he got his title back. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Back in Philippians 2, our our closing verses here say it like this. 
Verse 9, therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. See, the incarnation, I want to be really careful how I say this. I've thought this through and I, I believe this is correct. If it's not, come talk to me afterwards. We'll, we'll dig into it together. And if I need to apologize next week, I'll certainly do that. But I believe it could be summed up this way. The incarnation results in greater glory than Christ would have had if he had not come to earth. I believe that's true. But one example, Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to, to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. They're celebrating Christ's atoning work. So he's in heaven now. He's exalted and glorified. But listen, I want to end with this. There's still one more glory yet to come for Jesus. The final glory. Let me read these verses again. Verse 9 to 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess, what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ever since Christ ascended back to heaven in glory, his, his church has been growing and spreading around the world. There are millions of people who have followed Christ's example, who have humbled themselves for the sake of Christ and the sake of the gospel, knowing that one day they would be exalted. The church has been spreading and growing, but, but as the gospel has been spreading around the world, there's something else also that has been spreading around the world, and that is hatred for Christ. Men's hearts, even as we speak, are growing colder and darker with each passing generation. And as this hatred for Christ and for Christians continues to grow, it's very easy for us to adopt, uh, sort of to fall prey to a fatalistic view. But I want to close with some great news this morning. Even though things around the world look dark, even though Christians are being hated more and more, let's never forget that the day is fast approaching when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you hear what that's saying? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Joseph Stalin murdered 20 million people. Karl Marx, Adolf Hitler, Mao Zedong, on and on and on and on we could go. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Everyone. One day Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? The disciples were caught off guard. They were fidgeting around and they said, well, I don't know. Some people think you're John the Baptist. Uh, others think you're Elijah. Some think you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And, and after all this 
this noise and clamor from the disciples, Jesus said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Jesus laid aside his title. He laid aside his reputation and he came to earth to live and to die. That's not the end of the story because he has been glorified and he has been given the name above every name. He's been given the title above every title. But one day, one day, all of us are going to admit and confess that he is Lord. But here's the thing. If you can't in this life confess that he is Lord of your life, you will on that day confess that he is Lord, but it'll be too late to make him Lord of your life. See the difference? Everybody's going to confess you're Lord. But it's going to be too late for a whole lot of people to make him Lord of their life. So where are you on this this morning? Is he your Lord? I'm not talking about did you say a prayer when you were five? And that's some long, foggy, distant memory. There's a difference between him being Savior and being Lord. I can proclaim him as my Savior because that gives me, you know, a, a ticket to heaven. But the Bible has a lot to say about that. It says if you're not living for him, if he's not your Lord, then you really might want to check that ticket because you might have got a fake one. If we have been saved, we will be transformed people. And we will want nothing more than to lay our stupid, stubborn, ignorant will aside and say, Lord, your will be done, not mine, because you are Lord of my life. How do you do that? If you never have, the Bible is very clear. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made for salvation. While I'm through this morning, we've taken a very brief look at the cost of the incarnation. It cost him everything to die for us. Is it costing us anything to live for him? Let's pray. Father, I pray you would enable us and grant us the, um, the honor and the privilege of never forgetting the cost of the incarnation. Lord, I pray that every time we read or hear about what you went through for us, it would at the very least put a lump in our throat. 
and just cause us to stop and reflect and think that that cannot be. How is that possible that he would come so low to save me? But that's the gospel. Lord, we thank you for making salvation possible. We thank you that you loved us so much that you made this possible. I pray if there's anyone here this morning who has been saved, but Christ is not their Lord. Lord, help them to see this is not an obligation they need to take on. This is the joy of a lifetime to live a surrendered life to the Lord. And for those who may have never received Christ, they've heard all about this, but they cannot say that Christ is their Lord. I pray they would come to that place today where they would see and realize their need for salvation and a Savior, just as Thomas did when he refused to believe, but when he saw the risen Lord, he fell at his feet and said, My Lord and my God. May every one of us, before this day is over, truly be able to say that he is our Lord. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time... May God bless you as you continue to follow Him. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart.